Gateway. Happy Sunday. Kyle here. I'm so glad to be with you. Merry Christmas. Uh, and it truly is Christmas tide. Um, you know, we're not beholden to uh, the church calendar here at Gateway, but we also don't dismiss the tradition that precedes us. So there you go. Happy Christmas tide. <laughs> well, today uh, we start a new series, a series titled Spirit Greater Than the Flesh. And, you know, we're, we're, Cool. So we made it just the greater than sign. So it's like the alligators eating the spirit. So you know that's the greater thing. Well, this the series is all about exploring the character of Christ revealed in the fruit of the spirit. And typically, a new series comes in the life of the church when they would close a book study, or perhaps the the calendar itself dictates it to the church. So we just experience that with the season of Advent, and we will experience it again in the spring with Easter. This is a little bit of a different series in that what we're doing here extends from Advent. You see, back in the fall, Asa Crow, who started the Advent season for us, teaching on hope in November, he shared an ab- like an observation about Advent. And that observation evolved into this series. And he observed that Advent, beautiful as it is, it isn't enough. And at first, I thought, thought something like, well, no, duh, (laughs) that's kind of the point. There's this tension of Advent, this waiting, this expectancy, and then that tension resolves in Jesus at Christmas. So, of course, it's not enough. That's, That's the point. And at a basic level, that's true. That is the natural progression of the season. But what Asa helped me to see is that there's so much more to be had in Jesus. And I think what he meant was that Advent's not long enough. Like we need to wait and anticipate more. We need more of the character of Jesus put in front of us to wait upon that and expect him to be the fulfillment of it. Because in Advent, we stop with love, joy, and peace. But in Jesus, there's more than just those three virtues. There's so much more to be had. And so for that, we turn with the Apostle Paul to Galatians chapter 5. And for the next six weeks, uh, we will continue to explore the character of Christ revealed in the fruit of the Spirit. And so, uh, as is uh, honoring of God's Word, wherever you are, would you stand in honor of God's Word? And this is what we read in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. May God add a a blessing to the reading of his word. And you can have a seat. See, today we have two simple goals. First is just to consider the context of our text, and second, with that context in hand, then to turn to a single facet of the fruit of the Spirit. And so the context. You know, when I first started following Jesus, I didn't know that there were ways of reading the Bible. I didn't know about social or historical background or the original languages I just picked up a Bible, and like you read any book, I started on page one and started going to the right. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but if you're new to the Bible, it can be weird. It can be confusing. 
And if you've read it recently, that is the Bible, uh, you know it is a strange place for a modern Westerner to find themselves. Uh, there's erotic love poetry. There are plagues. There's a talking snake on the opening pages of the Bible. I mean, this is an odd place. And that's just the content. When you, when you think about the context, it's stranger still. And what I mean is that the ancient Near East is itself a, a world that was forged around community identity. And this is the world from which the Bible comes. And here's an example to help, help us understand this community identity. Uh, when we think about ourselves, we generally think about ourselves individually. That is, I am greater than the group. Me is greater than we. But in the biblical imagination, it's an entirely different paradigm. It's flipped. We is greater than me. That is, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. We've deconstructed that, and that is the individualism that we live in. And I draw this point out specifically because Paul's appeals to the churches in Galatia, the, the, the region to which Paul writes this letter, they're nested within this community paradigm. And it can be a little jostling the first time that this is that you realize this, that when you're reading in the New Testament and you read you, and you think that the author's talking to you, <laughs> but he's really talking to y'all. I remember the first time I encountered this, it like shifted in my mind, like so many passages that I held dear. I said, whoa, 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 I thought that was just for me. And what I didn't realize is that I had been reading the Bible as simply a devotional letter to me, like a love letter from Jesus or something like that. And certainly we do see the love of God on display in Jesus, but the Bible is so much more than that. So it can be a little jostling when we experience that for the first time. And so I love how biblical scholar Tim Gombas instructs us. He says, let the text be strange. In a series of lectures he gives on Galatians, he invites us into the strangeness of the letter. So what does he mean? Well, I think what Gombas is doing is he's challenging our familiarity with Paul. That is, how we think about Paul, or how we think we think about Paul. See, Paul has in some sense become domesticated in the modern evangelical church. For, for many Christians, it's like the only letters that we hear preached in church. It's the only letters we read. They're, they feel the most accessible, and we read them through our own lens. Gombas is challenged there of letting the text be strange, it's an invitation to encounter Paul's writing through his circumstances, through his lens, and through his intention. And more so to, to like step into the wild landscape that is the New Testament. And maybe there's like something primal in me that that language activates, but I, I love that. Let the text be strange. And Galatians is strange. It is wild. And the letter as a whole, it's written to affirm the validity of God's new multi-ethnic family rooted in Jesus. And I know that was a bit wordy, but it's, those words are worth it. God's new multi-ethnic family rooted in Jesus. That's what Paul's validating in the letter of the Galatians. And when people any people, whether they're Jews or Gentiles, insider or outsider, would be a modern equivalent. When any people align their life with Jesus by faith, that is this whole person allegiance, uh, 
when they trust him, Jesus's life and more his death and resurrection become their new life. And there, right amidst the mess of it all, (laughs) new creation breaks forth in Jesus's name. But Galatians is a letter of tension. See, Paul wrote for the circumstances particular to that community, for occasions that are located within a time and a place. See, for Paul, when, when when he's writing to these people, when he's affirming this new covenant community, this new multi-ethnic family rooted in Jesus, he's also affirming that this group is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Now, if if that's just a name that is unfamiliar to you or it's like your cousin or something, Abe, um, Abraham was, we find in Genesis 12. And so in the place where uh, the world is full of God's enemies who are opposed to the way of God, God chooses to move toward one of his enemies. And he chooses Abraham to bless all the nations of the earth through him and his descendants. And now, through Jesus and the community formed in Jesus, that blessing is extending and Paul is affirming that. And more so, Paul is affirming that in a community of difference, allegiance to Yahweh, that looks different. And some people don't like that. And this is what I mean. If if you're like me and you started reading your Bible at page one, then we started reading in what's called the Torah. And the the Torah or the teachings, like it not only sets out the foundation stories for the people of Israel, the Torah affirms a pathway for a blessed life with God. This is beautifully summarized in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. And it essentially says that blessing extends from obedience and cursing extends from disobedience. But disobedience and obedience to what? It's a great question. It's all in reference to the law. And really, the the law is like a guide for Israel. In fact, if you've seen a no loitering sign outside of a convenience store, you get the principle of the law. The idea is this, that there's some dubious ruffians or some, some wild youths outside of a convenience store And in their antics, people don't want to come in. People are nervous about uh, approaching the convenience store. So the owner of the establishment puts the sign up there, no loitering. They see it. They obviously don't care. But now the owner of the establishment is able to call the police. They're able to help move those people. And then customers can come freely without (laughs) the scourge of those uh, youths. This is such a just silly example. But that no loitering sign, It wasn't needed when people weren't loitering. And in turn, the law wasn't needed until disobedience came. So that's what the law is. The law is actually God's grace to the people of Israel. It's a a time for them to see and reflect and then turn to God. The, The law itself is an example of God's patience with the people of Israel. And and hold on to that, because that'll come back into play. So now turning back to the tension of, of the letter, we, we, we see that when Jesus comes onto the scene, Jesus does this thing. He fulfills the law. He fulfills the Torah. That is, he lives the life of complete obedience to Yahweh. And, and when he does this, he opens up the flow of blessing to the nations. And when that happens, it, that means that a community of difference forms around Jesus. But remember, in a community of difference, allegiance to Yahweh will look different. 
So does that mean since Jesus fulfilled the law that that this new community of Jesus is to do away with the law? Well, Paul would also say, no, like the law is good. The law reveals God's character. In fact, the command to love one's neighbor as oneself comes from the law. Leviticus 19 even, you know that spot when you were reading through the Old Testament and you just stopped? Yes, that is the place that we get the command to love our neighbor as ourselves. The laws and the commands about caring for the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, they all come from the law. The law is good. But the law is not for the Cretan. The law is not for the Roman. The law is for the—it's not for the Galatian. The law is for Israel. But the law was so vibrant. It was so essential in the Hebrew imagination that when Jews started following Jesus—in fact, in the Gospels, what you see, or really in, in the Acts of the Apostles, is you see that thousands of people are coming and starting to follow Jesus. Where are they following Jesus? They're following Jesus in Jerusalem at the Passover after Peter is preaching. It's thought that many of the people who start following Jesus are Pharisees. These are leaders of the law. They hold dearly the law. It's woven deeply into the fabric of their lives. They want to contend for it. It's an expression of their allegiance to Yahweh. And so, when they start following Jesus, their devotion to Jesus came in conjunction to the law. And so much so that they claimed that in order to truly follow Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, that you needed to do this. You needed to follow the law. You needed to eat kosher. You needed to get circumcised. You needed to observe the high holy days. This was a part of following Yahweh. In essence, there was no Jesus without the law for them. The problem is that in a community of difference, allegiance to Yahweh looks different. It doesn't mean that you're compromising the character of God or your allegiance to Him. It just means that there is a kaleidoscopic view reflecting different ethnicities and cultures, and that is the beauty that God wanted to unleash on the world, is that anyone and everyone from wherever you are can follow God in and through Jesus empowered by the Spirit. So do you see the tension here of the letter? So on one hand, you have a corporate identity forged through the law, fulfilled in Jesus. And on the other hand, you have a corporate identity forged through Jesus who fulfilled the law. I know, it's a lot. It's complicated. Paul is an Old Testament scholar writing into that context. And the beauty of this, though, is that when there's tension on a community of difference or within a community of difference, Galatians gives us wisdom of how to step forward into that. And I love this, Paul speaks to both sides. He he speaks to those who appeal to the law and those who appeal to freedom from the law. He says this in Galatians 3. I love this, this is like, um, Paul's really angry here. (laughs) Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Don't worry, Paul doesn't stop here. He is an equal opportunity apostle. So to those who who are appealing to to freedom from the law and really appealing to Jesus, he he says this in Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, 
but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And this is crucial, not just for the letter itself and the context, but this is crucial for us. See, in chapter three, Paul notes that it is the cross that is the entry point into this new creation community, the the community who's animated by the life of the Spirit. Therefore, when, when anybody appeals by force to the law or to freedom from the law, that is an appeal outside of the spirit. It's, in, it's all of a sudden in the place that Paul calls the works of the flesh. And this is crazy. This is lunacy because the works of the flesh were crucified on the cross. And maybe this is a bit jostling for you to, to hear about this dynamic of the flesh and the spirit. Like maybe in your imagination, the, the spirit and the flesh are are just little pixies that pop up on your shoulder and, and one is inviting you to, to good, it's, in, it's encouraging you, and the other is, is tempting you or something like that. The spirit and the flesh in Galatians are far from that. Paul sees the spirit and the flesh as these cosmic entities, these cosmic realities, the flesh in rebellion to the way of God, and the spirit aligned with the way of God. In fact, the personal presence of God. And these cosmic realities are in conflict because God has broken in to bring renewal through Jesus. In fact, this new life in the Spirit is breaking out. And now this new covenant community, this community, multi-ethnic community rooted in Jesus is at the intersection of these two realities. And these cosmic realities, they form the context of our text. And so with that in mind, let's just turn to to the the spot where our teaching text is nested within, Galatians 5.16. And we're going to read this with a little color commentary along the way. So Galatians 5.16, we read this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. That little statement there at the end of uh, verse 17 is is kind of confusing. It's this idea of um, like these things are happening and you really don't have a choice, but that doesn't seem satisfactory. So to be honest, I'm not really sure what Paul means there. (laughs) So we're just going to keep reading. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And this is Paul, he's not dismissing the law, he's reminding them that they have been loosed from any elemental things that would bind them to um, a practice or a pattern outside of Jesus, that they don't have to abide by the law because they've, Jesus has fulfilled it. That, that's, that's the idea here, so there's the fulfillment of the law through Jesus, verse 19. So the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And stop right there. 
Paul is saying that all of these realities, the works of the flesh, that they stop at the cross. These are the things that have been put to death at the cross, and now that they will not continue into the new life of the Spirit. And more so, he says, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So when Jesus comes back to judge, which is about God's justice coming here on earth, those things will pass away and go to destruction. But the things of the Spirit, those will continue on into God's kingdom. And to hear what those are, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So what we have in Galatians 5, the vices and the virtues are what Tim Gombas calls these lenses of discernment. And what he means is that When these things show up, be it vice or virtue, they are signaling that a particular cosmic reality is coming to bear on a community to either form that community in the character of Jesus through the Spirit or to deform that community through the deeds of the flesh. And I just want to to pause here because I... This is not like... I didn't just arrive here by happenstance. When I first started following Jesus, I had a different vision of the Christian life in mind. It actually, it looked kind of like this. It was this idea of individuals walking down a narrow road and and up here, up and to the right, (laughs) was life in the spirit and down and to the left was life in the flesh. And that we, as followers of Jesus, had the spirit in us so that we, who is willing, our flesh is weak, it was this like internal turmoil and battle. And then I was the primary actor. So if I like, worked harder, I would be in the spirit. And if I struggled, I would be in the flesh. What Paul is talking about in Galatians 5, it's, it's a huge shift from that. And I think it's, it's really what he's talking about, is these cosmic realities coming to bear on the life of a community. And I know, like, it goes without saying, I am a product of an individualist culture. And so, I understand, like, if this is a hard, like a big gulp to swallow, (laughs) and you're thinking, I've always thought about my life with God, of like keeping in step with Him, of this intimate, personal thing. I'm not saying that this text is absent of that. What I am saying is that the more present reality is about these cosmic entities in conflict with one another. And this new multi-ethnic family of Jesus is in the middle, is in that space of tension. Because for Paul, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit are all about community formation, and we are a part of a community. So this isn't an either-or, this is more of a both-and kind of a reading. But you see, when the works of the flesh, that is, factions or jealousy or division, when those show up in a community, it's an indicator that like the, this cosmic reality of of the flesh is animating members of that community. Therefore, that that community needs to be reshaped by the cross. And conversely, when things like love and self-sacrifice and care and humility are present in a community, it's an indicator that the cosmic reality of the spirit is animating members of that community who also, and get this, who also need to be continually shaped by the cross. See, I'm under no illusion, like this is really hard. 
This idea of being shaped by the cross into a community who is formed and animated by the life of the Spirit, this is hard and it takes time. I mean, let's just stop for a moment and consider the year that most of us have lived through. It's estimated that 1.8 million Americans have lost a relative due to COVID-19. I mean, that level of national grief, it doesn't just go away, it doesn't just dissipate. Not to mention the lingering grief uh, surrounding racial injustice, uh, political tensions, financial fallout, canceled graduations, zoo meetings, derechos, hurricanes, killer hornets. Do you guys remember the killer hornets? (laughs) Any one of these things is enough to strain the fabric of our character. Like any one of these things would expose the true contents of our character. But you take all of these together and it just has the power to like rip a gaping hole in our character, leaving us in tatters. This has been a really, really hard year. And to be honest, like this is just autobiographical. Like from, I'm pretty privileged. Like culture has imbued on me, given me a lot of value because I'm a white dude and have education. Um, so my life has been mostly insulated from the ills of 2020. And even from that place, I feel weary. I've never experienced the depth of social, political, and religious fault lines. Maybe it's because it's like the first time I'm waking up to some of those things. Um, But man, I've I've never experienced like I have this year. It's it's a genuine weariness. And then inside and outside the church, it's it's as though we've all made up our minds. We have our positions and that's kind of where we are. There's this unwillingness to listen and even an unwillingness to, to humble ourselves, to, to submit to hearing another. And I just, it leaves me wondering, like, if the body of Jesus, the, the corporate church, if, if Gateway even, like, if we're just as divided as the world around us, what do we have to offer? How can we be the healing presence of Jesus to a hurting world if our character is in tatters? And I don't know the state of your character at the end of 2020. Whether it's strained, it's starting to fray, maybe maybe it's in tatters, I don't know. Um, We're pretty good at hiding how our character is. But I just want us all to take heart. Like there is room in this new multi-ethnic family of Jesus. There is room in the new community of Jesus to be shaped and reshaped by the cross to be formed into a community of love and joy and peace. And for the next number of weeks, like that's, that's what it'll look like for us. We will be examining what it, what it means and what it looks like for the spirit of the living God to be formed in us, for the character of God to be formed in us. And, it, and if you're still honed in here at this point, if, you'll notice um, that, there's, that there's something that we started with that I asked you to hold on to, that I haven't turned my attention to again. And it's the virtue of patience. See, Advent presented the hope of love, joy, and peace. And so naturally, as we close today, I just want to submit this question to us, and then I'm going to try and answer it a little bit. But what does it look like to be a community formed or marked by patience? So here's the fruit, patience. Sorry, I misspoke a moment ago. I said peace. I meant patience. Well, Four weeks ago, we we defined patience like this, as patience is a posture of withholding either anger or satisfaction for the good of others. And the word that Paul uses here in our passage is this word, uh, macrothumia. 
And it's a word that when translators and scholars of the King James Bible uh, were commissioned to translate the Bible into the King's English, they used this word long-suffering. And, and what's interesting is that when macrothumia, or this long-suffering, is employed, it's, it's primarily interpersonal. It's about your relationship with me and my relationship with you and our relationships with those around us. But that's not the only way that the Bible talks about patience. You see, Paul, who's the author of more than one letter in the New Testament, and he wrote a, a weighty tome, the letter to the Romans. And in there, he uses this, this word, uh, hupomene. And it's this reference to enduring times of suffering. And I think because of the time we find ourselves in, I said, yeah, we need the full composite sketch of patience to know what it is for that to be formed in us. And so I came across uh, this quote from a scholar uh, from a previous generation, J.B. Lightfoot, and he has this to say about patience. While hupomene is the temper which does not easily succumb under suffering, macrothumia is the self-restraint which does not hastily retaliate a wrong. See, patience isn't just a posture of withholding retaliation for the good of others. Like, it is that. It's totally that. But it's also the ability to endure suffering for eternity's sake. Listen to this line in Romans 2. To those who by persistence, to those who hupomene, in good, in doing good, they seek glory, honor, and immortality, and he will give them eternal life. See, the, the character that Jesus wants to produce in the communities that are marked by his name is one that, that not only withstands retaliation from others, but as our passage points out, it withstands the deeds of the flesh at work in the world. See, patience says that there is another way forward. It is able to bear up under the weight of a 2020 even. We see this patience, this hupomene in Jesus. In fact, in Hebrews 12, we read this. Let us run with hupomene, with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he hupomeneed. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, we may be weary in 2020. And my guess is that we'll be weary for a good deal of 2021. But when we endure, when we, when we patiently preserve, when we patiently persevere, that is, it's this idea that the cross, the cross has no shame. Because the cross, as we see with Jesus, is actually the way forward into glory. And this is upside down and it's backwards. It's, it's odd to think that the cross is a gift to the church. But this is the posture that we can assume, is that in both our interpersonal relationships, that we humble ourselves before the other person. We, we like assume the posture of humility. And if you need like a visual, it's where you literally lower yourself. You assume that posture interpersonally. And as you consider then, and this is the paradox of patience, as you consider the weight of this day of 2020 and what's to come, you are able to stand up under it. And this is the beauty of following Jesus. 
is that it's his endurance that becomes our endurance. It's his life that becomes our life. Because Jesus, he went to the cross, giving his life over unto death, being vindicated by the love of the Father, raised from the dead, so that anyone, anyone who places their hope in him, their faith in him, can receive his life, the life that puts to death the deeds of the flesh and makes us alive to God by the power of the Spirit. Patience is therefore the place where we find the person of Jesus. Our endurance is not done alone. It is done in the company, in the presence, the personal presence of God. So Gateway, as we set out on this series, may we be a people who are marked by the patience of Jesus, who have the courage to endure with one another, knowing that Jesus endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured that. We too, with Jesus, can endure. Let's pray. Holy Father, we receive you. We say you are good. And we thank you that you are the one. You are the one through your Son and the power of your Spirit that brings this fruit to bear in the life of your church. Would you form the character of Jesus in us through the power of your Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen.